Welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast with Heather Hakes, where mindset is everything. Thank you for joining me and tuning into this podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. This podcast is here to open your awareness. I want to provide you with tactical teachings on how to master your mindset, create your ideal reality, overcome obstacles, and leverage adversity. And most importantly, it's to help you realize that you are in total control of your reality. My hope? To inspire and motivate you to keep going, and no matter what, it's all about mind over matter. Be sure to check out my website, heatherhakes.com, where I offer you a free video training series on how to get unstuck and create lasting change. Again, that's heatherhakes.com and opt in to my free video training. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 239. Today's guest is going to share with you all about how to ground your thinking. Welcome to today's interview. I brought on Dr. Rodney Keene. Rodney, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Give the listeners a little background. Um, where do you normally live and what do you do? Okay, so kind of what we said earlier on when we were talking offline, I'm currently in the Isle of Man. I don't really live here. I normally live in Thailand, but considering the situation, we all find ourselves in globally with the lockdown of COVID-19. I'm pretty much stranded here right now, but I actually run a retreat with my business partner in Thailand, in Rayong, which is about two hours drive from Bangkok, where we do a lot of different training. You know, I'm known in the world for martial arts, so we do martial arts training, but we spend a lot of time working with people on how to achieve inner success, so we focus on inner management training there as well. What does that even mean, inner success or inner management? So I take a very different perspective, and I think part of this is because of my martial arts background. I think when people say that, you know, a lot of success comes down to your mental game, your mind, when I think about mind, I don't just think about it from a cognitive standpoint or what's happening in your head, the thoughts and so forth and the images that people have. I look at the mind as your entire self, is that your mind and your body are integrated And so actually, when I talk about mind, I'm not just talking about what's happening in your head. I'm talking about what's happening in all of you. And I look at the body as a natural intelligence. And so one of the things that I really like to do and I'm passionate about is, can we teach people how to achieve success, inner success, through the actual vehicle of movement? Now, my specific thing that I use, because that's my background, is martial arts. But I think it's a, an apt metaphor on one side, but also a practical tool. Because when I think about martial arts and about training, one of the things you have to do in training is you have to engage with an opponent. And that opponent is going to be you know, throwing punches at you, throwing kicks at you if you're sparring them. And you not only have to navigate what's happening on the outside, what's coming at you, but you also have to deal with what's happening on the inside. And you start to realize really quickly that your technique will only take you so far. And that actually, if you get, get right what's happening on the inside, if you manage that more effectively, you're going to achieve greater success. And so basically, most of my training then with my students, with my clients, is centered around what can they change on the inside so that they can perform better on the outside. I love that you shared that. And, and I want to step back two seconds. But what you said about that is, 
And I think it's a phenomenal metaphor that whether you're literally sparring in the ring or dealing with what are your thoughts on, you know, when you have that internal conflict or an internal struggle, isn't that, you know, when you have doubt, uncertainty, worry, stress, anxiety, how, how does one spar that? Well, I think one of the things that people often want to do and when they're dealing with this kind of internal dilemma, be it self-doubt or whatever is going on that they feel that's holding them back, what tends to happen if you look closely at that, they're creating a narrative around it. They're creating a story. And if you look closely at that story, it's either hinged to the past or to the future. Past in the sense that maybe they've had negative experiences before. They find themselves in a difficult situation. Maybe they couldn't have dealt with it before, you know, as effectively as they would like. And so that old past story comes into the present moment and creates the self-doubt that makes it hard for them to take action. Or it may be a new experience, but because it's a new experience, sometimes when people are having new experiences, they get overwhelmed and they don't think that they can tackle it. And so if you look very carefully, there's that story. The goal really is, can you actually take a step back from that story? Can you actually look at it in a way that you're not engaging with it? Uh, Pema Chandran, who you may know about, is a, is a Buddhist teacher, and she always talks about this idea of biting the hook, kind of, a, kind of a fish in the sea metaphor, right? And so it's only once the fish bites the hook that the fisherman can pull the fish out. But if the fish doesn't bite the hook, it never ever becomes food on somebody's dinner table. Well, when you bite the hook, what she's actually talking about is we're all going to have internal movements inside us when we're dealing with a difficult situation, you know, the sensations and the feelings that arise. But it's only once we label that sensation or feeling that it becomes something that is that we can kind of, you know, see within our mind. And that's where the problem comes in because often when we do that, we create a story around it. I feel this way because... Yeah. I'm thinking this way because, and we get stuck into that narrative and it becomes a vicious feedback. What a lot of people want to do is they want to try to use positive ways of thinking to overcome it. That's kind of a natural tendency. Like you often hear that it's kind of a, a thing that's put out on the internet. Let's use positive affirmations. I don't think that really works because any, even if you create a positive affirmation, the problem with that is your mind knows that the reason you're creating a positive affirmation is because something negative has happened. So actually, you end up feedback looping over and over. You keep going back to the negative and then trying to push into the, the positive. My approach is, can you actually accept where you are? Can you accept the way that you're feeling? Can you accept the sensations that you have? Are you able to accept the thoughts that you're having? And once you accept it, then you don't have to buy into the narrative. It's almost that you become an observer to your thoughts. You can take a step back. And when you can observe your thinking and you're no longer are the thinking, then you can separate yourself from the, that, 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 those, those two places and you create space. And when you create space, then you can approach things in a completely different way. One of the ways that I find that's really effective to achieve that, and I keep coming back to that, is martial arts. Because I can be thinking in the past or the future, but it's not going to stop the person from hitting me in the face. They're still going to be punching me, right? So if I can accept how I'm feeling in that moment in time and continue to perform, I start to realize that it doesn't really matter how I feel or think that doesn't stop me from performing at my best. And I think that's a very different way of thinking about it. But I found that it's a very powerful way is that if you can accept exactly where you are, you change your relationship with the way that you are thinking and feeling. 
I think you just shared so many golden nuggets and I was sitting here taking several notes, but I think you are totally right. And I've heard this many times before. I feel like Eckhart Tolle is one of them. Maybe I heard from first, but it's to be aware of and observe your thoughts, not to become, you are not your thoughts. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So the way that I describe that, and I wrote a book about it, but the way that I describe it is I look at this as grounding your thinking. And I think the first kind of step that people need to do is they need to be aware that they are not their thoughts. And that might sound almost like, what is he talking about? But if you look at how most people operate, they operate from their thoughts are reality. But actually thoughts, what are they? They're just fragments of history. They're not really what's happening right now. And so what we tend to do is we get so hooked into our thinking process that we lose touch with the present moment. So grounding your thinking is just becoming aware that you are thinking in a certain way and can I actually reflect on it? And that's the beautiful thing I, I believe of being human is that we have this natural capacity if we allow it to actually reflect on what we are thinking or what we're feeling. And that's what that first stage is about is that I need to know that that's the way that I'm thinking. And that's, and for example, you could see that coming up over and over. Most people, if they take a step back, will see that they have recurring thinking patterns. They have this thing that keeps happening over and over. Mm-hmm. And once you recognize that, because you no longer are the thoughts, but you can observe your thoughts, you're taking the first step to actually being able to apply being accepting of what's happening. But until you get to that stage, there's nothing much you can do. Because as long as you are your thoughts, you're just constantly going to react from that position. You're not going to have any way to create the space that you need in order to take that step back. I really want to provide a real life example. So what I hear you saying is when you have the thought, maybe the limiting belief, the doubt, I'm not good enough, I can't, whatever, rather than to positive affirmation, I am capable because that's just band-aiding it. And I think that's a way of resisting Mm -hmm. it because whatever you resist persists. So how can you observe the thought, I'm not enough, and then, I mean, what do you do from there so that you stop the feedback loop and step into what you truly are? I think it's a great question. So let's, let's take that one of, of somebody saying to themselves, I'm not good enough. One, I'm going to know that I'm saying that to myself. The fact that I know that I'm saying that to myself means that I'm, I'm observing that thought. So I'm not just an autopilot. I actually recognize that I'm saying that to myself. Now, I don't want to avoid it. I don't want to try to push it away. Or I don't want to cover it up, like you said, with a Band-Aid, by putting a positive affirmation on top of it. I can say to myself that, oh, there's that, there's that thinking process. There's my thinking trap where I say I'm not good enough. Yeah. Then as I say that, the thing that works the best is to do something that's going to trick your mind to move away from that thought but not put you back into that narrative. Because when you say, I'm not good enough, what typically follows that is why you think you're not good enough. Now, when you say that why you're not good enough, that is going to be hinged to the past or the future. It's not going to be in the present. You might say, oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough because I don't think I can do X happening right now. But that's not the real reason you're saying that. The reason you're saying that is because you've had past experiences where you felt that you couldn't achieve certain success in certain environments, and that's what's coming up in the moment. So if you can recognize the thought, you can even label the thought, you can say there's that thinking trap again that I see over and over, and then bring yourself back to your breathing, because I think breathing is one of the best ways to almost short-circuit 
your thinking mind. You almost trick your thinking mind with your thinking mind. By bringing yourself back to your breath, you, te- you basically sever that connection between that trapped thought that you have where you're, where you're thinking you're not good enough over to something else. And by bringing yourself back to your breath, you, you bring yourself back to the present moment because the, the breath does a couple of things, right? The one, when you breathe, you are bringing yourself back to the present moment. Now we can talk a little bit about that, but you also are engaging your autonomic nervous system. So typically what will happen is when people are thinking, if we could call it a negative way, that's also attached to a physiological response. Now you may, may or may not be completely aware of it, but for example, if you look closer, you'll notice that your heart rate is going up. Maybe you, you, you start having clammy hands, dry mouth, especially when people are stressed out. These are some of the obvious physiological changes. But when you focus on your breath, but specifically the out-breath, so I need to be clear about that. It's not just breathing, but focusing on your out-breath. We know that when you focus on your out-breath, you engage that part of your autonomic nervous system that brings you back to homeostasis and calms you down. So you're doing two things. You're breathing to bring yourself back to the present moment and separate yourself from the negative thinking pattern. But by breathing and focusing on the out-breath, you're also engaging that part of your autonomic nervous system that calms you down. And that's a really important way of pulling yourself away from those those negative thinking traps. So question for you, because something that I've practiced and and I... I catch myself and lately I've been thinking as the negative thoughts, if you want to call them that labels as gremlins. And I'm like, Oh, there's that gremlin again. There we so go. Yeah, exactly. I kind of make a joke of it. I'm like, Oh, there the gremlin and a visual I have in my mind is do you, I don't know if you've ever played the arcade game, but like the rubber mallet and you hit the gopher down or whatever the animal yeah, yeah. is. So I think of whenever I'm having the, whatever the thought may be that gets me out of my momentum high vibe energy. I think of it as a gremlin or that gopher and I just want to bop it away. And then my whole thing is to get movement because most of the time I find myself sitting still and that's Mm -hmm. when I have time to sit in the funk or I change my focus and find gratitude, turn on music. I get movement, go for a run, dance, whatever it may be. But is that thinking of it as a gremlin or, 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 you know, hitting it, is that avoiding it? Or is that just observing, acknowledging, and then changing focus? No, I think, you, I think what you're saying is absolutely right. I think that's a great strategy. I guess the problem would be is how would you pull that strategy off, for example, if you're in a corporate environment, you're dealing with a very stressful situation, it's an interpersonal situation, you find that those negative thought patterns are coming up, it's going to be very difficult in that moment in time to kind of think about what you just said, right, like kind of hitting those gremlins down. Because what that might do then is in that moment in time that you're also going to lose your train of thought. You still have to engage with the situation you find yourself in. Sometimes you can't move your way from the situation that you're in. You have, to, you have to confront it. You have to deal with it. So the good thing about breathing is it allows you in that moment in time to do something that, A, will move you away from the negative thinking pattern, but still at the same time doesn't pull you out of the situation you're in because you still need to respond. So I think if you're at home or, or you, you, you're not really dealing with a high-performance situation, the strategy you just, just described is actually a really good strategy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's avoidance. I think you know already, right? It's not like you don't know that those patterns exist, but now you're recognizing them and then you're shifting your focus to something else, which I think is a much more productive way of dealing with negative thinking patterns. 
But I guess what I'm saying is if you're in a situation, like let's say I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a corporate environment, I'm dealing with my boss, I need to deal with the situation that I find myself in. I can't just walk out of the office. I also can't start thinking about things that are going to take me away from the conversation that I'm in because I have to deal with it. And I know I have to, but I still have all these self-doubt thoughts popping up in my head. Coming back to your breathing is a nice way to, do, to deal with that situation that moment of time because you're still able to perform them in that environment, in that high-performance environment. Another question on that, because I, I agree, coming back to your breath, and I've heard that a ton. Uh, again, it's the present moment, so you stop future-tripping, you stop replaying what just happened. But what about the concept of when you're in that confrontation, whether it's at work, in public, or even at home with, let's say, your partner, I've heard the term break the mirror. And okay. so more or less, rather than, let's say if you're in an argument or you're becoming defensive, rather than adding fuel to the fire, you've, and maybe that is doing the breath work, but you kind of have to stand back and, and rather than add that energy, the negative energy, you've got to come from a different space. Sure. I think that's, I think that's a good point. But how do you come from that different space is the question, right? Yeah. Because you know, regardless if you're in a kind of tense situation like that, you're going to feel all those physiological changes. You feel the heart rate increase and so on. So that's the first obstacle that you're dealing with. But what comes with that is always going to be a narrative. You're going to want to explain why you feel that way. And what tends to happen then is you start projecting your feelings onto other people. The reason I'm feeling this way is because this person is doing X. So I think, yes, absolutely, the idea of stepping back is important. But again, I'm going to keep saying the same thing because I think breathing is completely underrated and most people don't understand how important it actually is, is that when you take a step back and you're able to breathe into the way that you're feeling and you're thinking, what you are doing in that moment in time is you are accepting exactly the way that you are in that moment in time. And if you can just stay with that acceptance, and what does it mean? What do I mean by that acceptance is, of course, there's still going to be thoughts. Of course, there's still going to be feelings and sensations. But as long as I don't create a story around them, as long as I don't create a narrative, then I'm not hooked into the story. I'm not hooked into that narrative. And so it still doesn't mean that suddenly now by doing that, all of those internal feelings, the tension, everything's going to disappear. It's still going to be there. But can I just sit with it? Can I just be with it? And if you're able to do that over time, what starts happening is you change your relationship with the way that you feel and you think. Rather than just reacting, you come from a more mindful space. And that's really what, it, what does it mean to be mindful? A big part of mindfulness, which is a buzzword and a, a big topic globally at the moment, and it has been for a while. But what does it mean to be mindful? Mindful is fundamentally, it's about accepting exactly how you feel and think in that moment. But crucially, what's added to that is it needs to be done without judgment. And when we talk about judgment, judgment is that idea of creating a story because the story in itself is a judgment. I'm thinking this way because. There's always a because, right? There's always a reason. You always have to justify why you think of or feel a certain way. The problem with that is, is, that, is, that, is that entirely true? Are you actually being completely honest with yourself or you're just trying to justify that you think or feel a certain way. And it could be, unfortunately, especially in arguments with somebody, you want to be right and the other person is wrong. And that's that judgment that you have. And you may actually be the person that's wrong. But as long as you create that judgment, that narrative, you will never be able to see or 
create the space to be actually accept that maybe you're the problem. And until then, you know, a, a thing that could probably be cleared up an argument in a couple of seconds ends up becoming a lot worse over time. So I think the idea of accepting exactly where you are is a powerful place to be, but I'm not going to say it's easy either. It does take practice. And one of the practices that people can actually do is mindfulness practice. That's the idea of being mindful. And I, I mean, we could talk about some ideas on that. I think, you know, if you want to practice mindfulness, I don't think it's a good idea to practice it in the really tough stuff. You know, in that situation you just described where maybe you're having an argument with your partner. Think of the mundane things that you do and start there. I mean, it could be just something that you absolutely hate doing. Some people, absolutely, probably everybody, hates doing dishes, right? Nobody enjoys washing the dishes. And so the second you know you have to do it or you ask to do it, you start getting grumpy. You start creating a narrative like, why should I be doing this now? I'm actually busy doing other stuff. Can't that person see it, even though you know it's your responsibility? But can you actually go to... The, the dishes and just wash them without attaching to the narrative and spend the five minutes or 10 minutes that it takes you just to be connected with yourself without judgment and keep bringing yourself to your breath. That's a great practice. Going into a store these days, you know, if I go down to the store right now in the situation we're in, there are going to be lines. They're going to be, you know, you're going to be standing. You've got to be two meters, you know, between each person. It's going to take longer to get into the store than it's actually going to take you to shop. There's the perfect time to practice being accepting on how you're feeling and you're thinking, focus on your breath, just breathe into it, be with it, let it run its course. And I don't want to say this because it doesn't always happen immediately and it doesn't always happen for everybody, but with enough time, what you start to realize is that, yes, I'm thinking this way or I'm feeling this way, but actually that doesn't have to define the outcome. It doesn't have to define how I interact with the situation. And so you can actually do what you need to do, whatever that may be, even though you may be thinking or feeling a certain way. And the reason you can do that is because you've been able to observe the way that you are thinking and feeling without creating that judgment or that story that is attached to it. I love that you brought that up because I found myself last week, uh, I live by myself, but I think just this whole Groundhog Day constantly, you know, nothing's really changing. But I, I was in a negative mood about, you know, because I'm not really eating out, but doing cook, all the cooking, all the shopping, all the cleaning. And I, and I just, I started on a negative narrative, narrative bitching about it. And then I caught myself and I was like, wait a minute. No, I'm so grateful I have a laundry room to do my laundry. I'm so grateful I have dishes that I can eat on. And so I, I just changed the focus and found gratitude for all of it, changed my mood, turned on music, and then I, I made it fun. So it's a choice. It is a choice. But I mean, the fact that you could catch yourself doing it, what you did either intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or unconsciously, you observed those, that thinking process. You recognized that it wasn't moving you in the direction that you needed to move into and you made the choice to change it. Yeah. So that's, that's the key, right? So, and then there's lots of different ways to, Take that observation and apply it. You choosing to change it to gratitude, which is a fantastic way to do it. Some people might find that difficult. Maybe they don't feel they have anything to be grateful for. Maybe they're in a really bad place. So in that moment in time, just learning to just be with what the way that you are thinking and feeling, accepting it, as I keep saying, and then just bringing yourself back to your breath, which is something we all do. 
but we're never conscious of it. Now you conscious, you're making yourself conscious of your breathing and stay with the breathing, specifically the out breath. You're doing those two things. You're bringing yourself back to the present moment, which is where you want to be, because if you're in the present moment, you're not stuck in the past or the future, but you're also engaging the calming effects of your physiology which you can only really do through breathing. This is the thing, right? I mean, it's how, how much do we really want to go into this? I'm trying to keep it simple. But everybody has an autonomic nervous system. And you have two parts to the autonomic nervous system. You have the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm really simplifying it, right? There's probably the medical doctors watching this, be, you'd be having a heart attack just hearing how I simplify it. But, you know, for everyday use, it's, it's an easy way to kind of think about it. Well, your sympathetic nervous system, and I'm not really sure who named it that because it doesn't seem always very sympathetic. That part of your nervous system is your fight and flight response. That's the part that gets you ready to engage with a threat or to run away from it. So when we're in a, a negative loop, a negative feedback loop, we are engaging our sympathetic nervous system as well because the body is recognizing that you're not in the right space. And so it naturally assumes that there is a threat in your environment. It may not be a real threat, but it doesn't know that. It just recognizes what's going on and it reacts accordingly. Now, the other side of that is your parasympathetic nervous system. That's the side that's designed to bring you back to homeostasis and to calm you down. So if you've been in a highly stressful situation, your sympathetic nervous system kicks off. It goes into the fight or flight mode. When all that's said and done and things are over, you start calming down. That part of you calming down is your parasympathetic nervous system doing its job. That's why often when people have been in a highly stressful situation, one of the first things I'll say a little time afterwards is I'm feeling, I'm feeling tired. A reason they're feeling tired is because the parasympathetic nervous system is doing its job and it's trying to bring them back to a calm state. The question is, if that's how you're feeling and you feel all those physiological changes, what can you do about it? And what we know is you cannot consciously change it. Anybody who's been highly stressed out and told themselves to relax, ask them how well that worked out for them. It doesn't. You could keep telling yourself to relax, relax, relax. You still get more and more tense. Actually, probably the more you tell yourself to relax, the more you get tense. So the only way that we know that you can actually engage that parasympathetic nervous system is through breathing and specifically the out-breath. When you breathe out, you actually activate that part of your autonomic nervous system. So it's a fantastic way to bring yourself back to a calm state. It's one of the things, I mean, I work with a lot of different airlines and one of the things that I teach in airlines is helping them deal with disruptive passengers. Now you can imagine on an aircraft, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, there's a passenger on the aircraft getting really upset, really irate. As a cabin crew member, I'm going to feel that tension too. I'm going to have all the physiological changes. You know, my body's going to set off its alarm system. I'm going to, my sympathetic nervous system is going to kick in. It's getting me ready for a fight. But that could also create what we call an amygdala hijack, where basically what happens now, you get so overwhelmed by the physiological response that's happening that you freeze and you can't act. So one of the things that we teach cabin crew members is to remind themselves or even one of their own team members is to remind the other team member to breathe and focus on the out-breath. Not just the, it's not the in-breath. The in-breath does nothing. It's the out-breath. Focus on the out-breath, long exhale. When soon as you start doing that, you're kicking in your calming side of your autonomic nervous system, which is going to help you because if you're calm, you can deal with the situation more effectively. It's when you're not calm is when things tend to go south. So breathing is a huge thing. I mean, just on another note, just while we're talking about breathing, just as I remember it, which I think is a really important point, anybody watching this could try it. 
Okay, so what you've shared a ton of is this whole going back to life force and your breath anytime you're, I guess what I refer to it as anytime you feel out of alignment. Is that fair? Mm. Sure, absolutely. I think we could probably talk about something else here that I teach a lot of and I think it's very effective and I just found that it was effective for me. And it's, I mean, what I try to always do is if I'm teaching something, I, I need it to show up in my own life in a positive way. Otherwise, I don't want to teach it. So I have this idea what I call attitude embodied. It's not a new idea. Again, it's something that comes from martial arts, but um, there are researchers like Amy Cuddy. If people are interested, they can go into TED Talks and they can watch her talk where it really is about how you hold your body changes the way that you feel and think about yourself. So the way that I describe it is the way that I put it forward to students is how you show up matters more than you think. And so your body posture not only can show somebody where you are, like what's actually happening inside your head, but at the same time, it can also do the same to you. If I have a slump body posture, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm feeling dejected and I'm just standing in an awkward position, that's going to change the way that I feel. And if that changes the way that I feel, it's going to change the way that I think. So one of the ways as well to come back to yourself in a more present sense and bring yourself back to a more positive state, if we can call it that, is have a look at how you're holding your body in that moment in time. I think you kind of said that, right? Like one of the things that you need to do is when you're in a kind of negative funk is that you get up and you move around. Why is that so effective? Is because when you're in that negative funk, if you were, you know, if you had a camera on yourself, you'd probably be able to see that you are sitting and holding your body in a way that enhances and adds to the way that you're feeling and thinking in that moment in time. And so when you get up, you naturally do what? You pull your shoulders back, your head straightens up, you know, you change your body posture. And what's so interesting, and I think most people don't realize this, is that as soon as, as, soon as you change the way that you're holding your body, as I noted, that's going to change the way that you feel. And if you change the way that you feel, you change the way that you think. And if you change the way that you think, you change the way that you are interacting with the situation that you find yourself in. So yeah. I think that's really important. And now you can hook those two ideas together, right? When I'm breathing, I'm not just breathing out. I'm breathing out at the same time, I'm changing the way that I'm holding my body in the situation that I find myself in. And I change my body attitude to a way that's going to be more effective in aligning myself to the way that I really want to feel and bring me out of that kind of negative feedback loop. Yeah, you totally nailed it because actually something I've been practicing during lockdown because it's easy to get real comfortable in sweatpants or yoga pants, not take care of yourself. I know some people haven't been showering. And so I've tried to create as much normalcy as possible and to do my hair and makeup. Today I'm wearing a summer dress and it's the color yellow because it makes me think of sunshine. So I'm just creating this whole, when I feel good and I quote, I feel that I look good, then yes, my confidence, like it's a whole different experience for me rather than sitting in sweatpants, not taking care of myself, getting in that funk. So. Oh, absolutely. And I think, that, yeah, I think that's, what you, that's exactly what we're saying, right? And yeah. so I, again, people don't realize that. And so what they tend to do is they, they know that they're not feeling great. They feel moody, but they don't necessarily make the connection that you just made right? And so if you can just make that connection and say, you know what, I'm going to get out of my sweatpants and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up like I normally would show up when it matters, then things change in the same way. You start realigning yourself. You start realigning not only the way that you think, but also the way that you feel. And that's the key, right? Is that 
If you're thinking in a way that you feel is negative, it's also going to change your physiology in the same way. You're going to feel physiological changes that you don't like. And at the same time, we can also make the argument then that if I have physiological changes I don't like, that's also naturally going to affect the way that I think. So that's what I meant you know, when, I, when, I, when I talk about the mind. I think we need, I, I use it kind of loosely in mo, how most people understand it because it's easier. Otherwise, you have to get into a whole discussion about what are we talking about mind, right? But when I think about mind, I don't think of it as just what's happening in your head. Mind to me is all of you. You are a complete system. And so you can change one thing and it'll change everything else. Everything is interconnected. I love that. So I have a question for you. What is a key takeaway or concept that you want listeners to get from today's discussion? I would say two things, right? I would say, because we talked so much about it, I would say, check in with your breathing, Mm -hmm. see where your breathing is at. Notice if you're shallow breathing, if you're just breathing from your sternum up, change the way that you're breathing, breathe out. When you breathe in, really try to get as much of that oxygen in all the way down into your diaphragm. Make sure you're focusing on the out-breath because that's going to help you get yourself back to the present moment, but it's also going to calm you down, especially if you're stressed out. So I would say that's a definite key. The second one to that would be start looking at how you, if you change your body attitude, the way that you hold your body, your posture in different ways, how does that change your mood? How does that change the way that you think? That's what I, when I, when I kind of think about it all the time, the way that I try to describe it is that we have a natural intelligence and that natural intelligence is our body. But so much of our time is spent in our head. It's almost like the body is just a vehicle to get us from point A to point B. When actually no experience, nothing that you talk about, when you say, I I had this moment of pure joy or pure ecstasy, or I had this amazing experience that I will never forget. None of that happens without a body. Yet we spend no amount of time looking at our body in a way that actually the body is really the thing that needs to be taken care of. And I don't just mean in what most people think about diet, exercise. Of course, that's important. But being able to be aware of how your body shows up in different situations. Are you aware if your body starts getting tense when you're in a, when a particular situation? Does it only happen there? Or if there's similar situations, does it always happen? How can you change that? Because I think if you change that, you change everything. agree. Okay. So then I have a a few rapid fire questions for you to wrap up today's interview. Yeah. The first one being, what is a quote or motto that you live by? So I love Viktor Frankl. Um, I love his whole idea. I'll paraphrase his quote where he talks about the last of human freedoms is your ability to choose your own given attitude in any moment. 100%. I agree with that because uh, something I've been playing on repeat is to focus on what you can control. And so I think that's a fair statement. And your attitude, you can always control. You can decide if you want to be negative or positive about something. It's still your choice. Yes. Love that. What is a book you're currently reading or highly recommend? So, Right now, I'm kind of, for some odd reason, really big into behavioral economics and why people make the decisions that they make. So I'm reading a book uh, called Nudge, which is all about that and why we make the decisions that we do make in everyday life. And obviously, as it results to why we buy certain things and not buy other things. So it's basically just talking about the behavioral aspect of actually engaging with what we, we call everyday experiences in life. 
what is one takeaway you've gotten from that book about the behavioral? That we don't always make the best choices for ourselves. <laughs> you know, but I think why? the one, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's complex, but it, 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 I find it very interesting is that, you know, if we are given a situation where it's out, it's like mapped out for us. Like, let's think about a lot of the self-help books, right? They'll often start with seven steps to X as an example, right? And when we see that, our brain hooks into that because it seems that it offers a solution, right? But the reality is life is not like that. And life is chaotic and it's unpredictable. But our brain is hardwired to try to move towards predictability and to certainty. But the reality is life isn't like that. And so I think what, what I take away from that is that if we can learn to live with uncertainty, if we can learn to live with imperfection, we probably would be a whole lot more happier. If we didn't try to make everything perfect and everything you know, just set out exactly how we want it, because I don't think that's ever going to happen, and we just accept, like you were saying earlier, where you are and choosing your attitude in that moment because you have at least control over that moment, you can change the trajectory of your life. Yes, well said. Final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self? So what I would probably give advice to my younger self is I should have learned how to manage my emotions earlier. That's a whole lot of another discussion where I was brought up and where I came from. But, you know, I was running on, on the kind of the hot emotions for most of my youth. And if I could go back, it's all back to what we talked about in the beginning. If I could have known about the idea of accepting the emotions as they are without having to create a narrative around it, I would have probably saved myself a lot of headaches. Yes, I think we all would. Rodney, thank you so much for joining me today and in sharing this discussion on mindfulness and breath and um, your background. Awesome. Thanks, Heather. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Be sure to sign up for my free video training on how to get unstuck and create lasting change at heatherhakes.com. And I'd love to connect with you on the social platforms. You can find me on Instagram at heather.hakes, Facebook, Heather Hakes, and YouTube. Guess what? You got it. Heather Hakes. I'll catch you on the next episode.